Well, if you've checked our website or social media this week, you already know the results of last week's congregational vote. But for those of you who don't frequent social media or our website, I'm pleased to report to you that all three of the matters that we put before you passed with approval ratings ranging from 90% to 96%. That represents a wonderful answer to prayer because all through January as we were fasting and praying, we were not praying for the outcome of the vote. We were praying that there would be a unanimous spirit and a sense of God's leading. And to get close to 96% for the overall project, considering the diversity of opinions and backgrounds and experiences in our congregation, clearly says to me that God has answered our prayers. So thank you for your participation. Among those who didn't vote in the affirmative, some merely abstained from voting. A small group of people did that. And if you're one of them, and you abstain because you feel you still have a few questions you'd like to have answered, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to answer your questions. Obviously, the vote is already behind us, but we still want you to know what we believe God is leading us to do and why we believe he's leading us in that direction. Well, today, we're continuing our series on what I'm now calling the not-so-minor prophets because they have so much to say to us. And today we're going to be considering one of the best known stories in Scripture, the story of Jonah. But as well known as the story is, it's also highly controversial. Among those who don't believe, it's seen as proof positive that the Bible is a ridiculous book, that nobody would ever take it seriously, that it was written by people, superstitious people, in a pre-scientific era. And sadly, even within the kingdom of God, even among those who follow Jesus, some find the story hard to believe. And so they suggest that it's a fictitious story with a moral lesson, like many of the parables that Jesus taught, and that it was never meant to be taken literally. Now, for the record, I disagree with both of those opinions, but I don't want to take our time today talking about the historic reality of Jonah's experience. So I prepared an insert in your bulletin that unpacks that for you. I would prefer that you not read it while I'm teaching. <laughs> both Jonah and his story are frequently misunderstood. So let me say at the outset that Jonah is not the tale of a great fish that attempted to digest a rebellious prophet. It's the tale of a great God answering a righteous prophet who struggled to digest God's will. And since every follower of Jesus has those kinds of moments, Moments when our heart pulls us in one direction and God's heart is pulling us in another direction. The story of Jonah is one that we need to digest. Now, I'm not going to retell the story of Jonah in detail. You can read it for yourself. It's a mere four chapters long. 
I'm going to briefly summarize it and then highlight what it has to say to us when we're struggling to accept God's leading. And to set the stage for that, I want to read something that Jonah said to God, and I want to read it as I expect or suspect Jonah said it. It's found in Jonah, the fourth chapter, the second verse. Jonah said, I knew, and I think that's how he said it, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. I knew it. He was hardly a member of a praise choir when he said that. And his words remind us of our topic today, the tensions of devotion. The tensions of devotion. Let's pray together. Father, I can't teach your word apart from the work of your spirit. And we can't possibly understand it let alone apply it without the work of your Spirit. So once again, as we do each weekend, we pray that your Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to hear your heart. Help us to know your Word, that we might align our lives with it, and in so doing, be a blessing to a broken world. And we pray these things for your honor and in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's word together this morning, may the Lord be with you. The story of Jonah is the story of a patriot who was deeply concerned about the future welfare of his people and his nation. Because Jonah knew that in response to his people's stubborn rebellion against God, two of his contemporaries, the prophets Hosea and Amos, we've already considered them, prophesied that one day God was going to use the Assyrian Empire to punish his nation Israel. And the thought of that happening sent chills down Jonah's spine. Because Assyria was ISIS on steroids. They were known in the ancient world for their unspeakable tortures and atrocities. They delighted in finding new horrific practices that they would inflict upon anyone and everyone that they conquered. And I spare you the gory details. So when God instructed Jonah, go to a serious capital city, Nineveh, and announce that I'm going to destroy them in 40 days, you would expect Jonah would be relieved. If Nineveh is destroyed, if Assyria is destroyed, my people will be safe. But Jonah wasn't relieved. Because as our opening text affirms, he knew God. And he knew God delights in grace and in compassion more than in judgment. So Jonah obviously thought to himself, when I make this announcement, what happens if they repent? If they repent, I know God, he'll forgive them. 
And if they're forgiven, that means one day my people, my nation, are going to experience something horrific. And I can't live with that. So in that moment, Jonah's devotion to God's heart created a great tension within his own heart. And as we know, he ran from his assignment, evidently thinking if I don't tell them, then they will be judged and my people will be saved. Now, some suggest that Jonah ran because he was either fearful or because he was a bigot who hated people who weren't Jewish. But both of those are ridiculous contentions. Because subsequently, when he was on a ship fleeing from his assignment, when a storm arose and the ship was threatened, what did Jonah do? He suggested, guys, this is all about me. Throw me overboard and you'll be safe. Now, he was asking them to throw him overboard knowing it meant death by drowning. That's hardly the behavior of a coward. And the men whose lives he was attempting to save were all pagans who worshipped idols. So it was hardly the behavior of a bigot. No, in many ways Jonah was like Moses when Moses said, God, if wiping me out of your book of life would mean these people would be forgiven, take me out. He was like Paul who would later say, if my being cursed would mean the people of Israel would find Messiah Jesus, then let me be cursed. The reality is, Jonah was willing to forfeit his calling as a prophet and even his relationship with the God that he loved in order to spare the people of his nation from unspeakable suffering. See, Jonah is made out to be a bad dude. He wasn't. Well, getting back to the story, following his brief stay in what I like to call God's rent-assisted aquatic housing, <laughs> Jonah was vomited up on the shore near Nineveh. And from there, it was a three-day walk to the capital city. And for Jonah, that three-day walk must have felt like an eternity. But when we're struggling with God's will, he gives us time to hear his heart. Whenever you struggle with God's will, look for him to give you time to hear his heart. That's why when you're struggling with the will of God, your life will suddenly be filled with new interruptions. But they aren't interruptions, they're interventions and they're invitations to hear the heart of God and come to a better understanding of what he's up to. Well, upon arriving in Nineveh, Jonah's opening line to the city was just four words in the Hebrew. His opening announcement was this, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown or destroyed. Now, obviously, from there, he went on to talk about why. He went on to talk about their sin, and we know that by their subsequent response. But I want to point out to you, the God who is about to spare the Assyrian Empire and the people of Nineveh as an expression of his 
kindness. That God introduced himself by talking about their sin. When God, in his kindness, wants to do something restorative in you, he begins by talking about what needs to be restored. We're often afraid that talking to people about their sin will give them the wrong impression of God. Might I suggest that if we don't talk to them about their sin, we will give them a wrong impression of God. God's calling card for his kindness is to talk about our sin and our need. Well, in response to Jonah's preaching, the entire city repented. Think of that. The entire city, led by the king, who humbled himself before God. Rulers in that day didn't humble themselves before God. Now, there had been some famines in the years leading up to that. Many feel God was using those hard times to prepare their hearts for Jonah's message. And, and let that be a reminder, when God sends you to somebody with his word, God was there long before you'll get there, preparing them to receive that word. In Seth's video about Jeff, God was speaking to Jeff before Seth got there. A whole city repented. An empire repented. As miracles go, that's a far bigger miracle than surviving a few hours inside a great fish. And you would think Jonah would be celebrating, but he wasn't. Because his worst suspicions and fears were now a reality. And the tension of devotion was unbearable. Nineveh's going to be spared. That means one day... And so in his despair and in his anger, he requested death. And God didn't respond by taking him out. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer some of our prayers? You know, when you say things like, Oh, God, if that's the way it's got to be, just take me out. You mean it? No, no, I don't mean it. So what followed were some object lessons from nature. And then a closing declaration that sounds a lot like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Jonah's tale is more about the tensions of devotion than a miracle in nature. As I said earlier, it contains truth that will help us navigate when our heart's pulling us one direction and God's heart is pulling us in another direction. Let me state a few of them beginning with this. Jonah teaches us that God has no favorites. He cares deeply for all people who are in spiritual jeopardy, including those who pose a threat to his people. That means God loves the people in our world today who hate us, who hate his church, who hate his kingdom, who hate his message. You and I live in a time of increasing insecurity. And that has fostered escalating levels of fear. And as I shared with you a couple of months ago, in this escalating insecurity and fear, our culture 
is drifting towards nationalism and tribalism. When people feel threatened, they seek out their own and they hunker down with their own and isolate themselves and suspect and resist everybody else. And living in that context, Jonah sounds a warning to us that we need to hear. Jonah reminds us that we must never let patriotism or prejudice keep us from taking God's truth to the entire world. We should never let patriotism or prejudice keep us from God's global agenda. And we need to remember that the people we think are our enemies are actually the victims of our real enemy. Satan is our real enemy. They're just numbered among his victims. They're standing where we once stood. And they need Jesus. And God wants to restore them. That's why in a world where currently Muslims, anywhere they're in a majority, oppress the church of Christ, God is raising up Jonas to go to the Muslim world and tell them about Christ. And it's also why in areas where we can't send missionaries, Jesus is appearing to Muslims in their dreams telling them that he is the Son of God, and unprecedented numbers of Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus all around the globe. It's also why for years we have been reaching out to the Muslim immigrants here on the north side, because that's the heart of God. He doesn't have favorites. Second, Jonah reminds us we should never write off anybody as being beyond God's grace. If God could change the ISIS of Jonah's day, God can change any people group. God can change any individual. Third, when God wants to use us to reach those outside his kingdom, he often calls us to do things that don't feel right to us, things that don't appear to serve our interests, things that don't feel logical, don't feel just, don't feel safe, don't feel fair, things that aren't economically prudent, things that aren't promising. The fact is, he may call you to do things that feel downright dangerous and threatening. And when he does, we all tend to run in the other direction. And once you start running, Satan starts sending you snarky texts suggesting as the accuser that your faith isn't real, that your devotion to God isn't everything that you thought it was. But Jonah reminds us the exact opposite is true. Deep struggles with God indicate deep devotion to God. Will you read that with me? Deep struggles with God indicate deep devotion to God. Unbelievers don't struggle with God. They ignore him or they hate him. It's believers, it's followers who struggle with God. Because the more you care about God, the more he'll call upon you for his mission. And the more he calls on you for his mission, 
the more likely it is you'll find yourself in a place of tension. And the more often you find yourself in a place of tension, the more you're going to struggle. So the struggles don't mean you're bogus. They mean you're in. Fourth, God offers grace to those who don't know him and to those who do. He offers his grace to rebellious sinners and reluctant saints. Nineveh was given an opportunity to get right with God. Jonah was given the opportunity to get it right. And I would remind you, even though he ran from God and pouted and wanted to die, so much drama. God empowered him to preach and usher in what is likely the greatest evangelistic moment in human history. It was far greater than the day of Pentecost. That was over 3,000 people. This was an entire city and an entire kingdom. God didn't say, oh, you failed, now I can't use you. You know who does say that? Satan the accuser. See, only the devil plays in yesterday's garbage. God always moves on. And the story of Jonah reminds us that past struggles don't prohibit future success. When you mess up, the devil will say, well, God will never be able to use you quite the same again. Don't believe that. Jonah's story reminds us you can even run from God and he'll still use you in powerful ways. Fifth, Jonah reminds us that when we struggle, God will move heaven and earth to nudge us back to the right path. Think of what he did with this prophet. He orchestrated his being thrown overboard. Then he saw to it that a great fish was there and that that great fish had a hunger for profit. And then while Jonah was in the fish, he monitored Jonah's awareness. And then he scheduled the fish to upchuck on the shores of Nineveh. He could have hurled Jonah out in the middle of the ocean and he would have drowned in a matter of moments. But no, he upchucked on the shores of Nineveh. God did all that because he cared about Nineveh and he cared about Jonah. So Jonah instigated one of the greatest evangelistic moments in human history. And history tells us that for approximately 150 years after he preached, the people of Assyria followed the true and living God. Think of how many people lived and died in faith over 150 years in an entire empire. Now, they subsequently resorted to their old ways. Future generations returned to cruelty. And as Hosea and Amos prophesied, they eventually destroyed Israel. And then they themselves were eventually destroyed as well. And you would think that in light of all those people finding God, Jonah would have been ecstatic. But he wasn't, hardly. 
And it reminds us that you can go through the motions of obeying God even when your desires aren't aligned with his desires. Because the truth is, aligning our desires with God's desires is always a process. A long process. You see, the ability to trust God when everything inside of you is saying, run, is not something you develop overnight or from reading a good book. It takes time. It takes God's intervention before we can grasp what God is up to and how he's going about it. And that explains the final chapter of Jonah. As God's pouting prophet sat watching the city, evidently hoping the judgment would still fall, he was sitting under the blazing sun. So God caused a plant to grow up, and its broad leaves offered Jonah much welcomed shade. And that evening, Jonah was happy. But overnight, God sent a worm that destroyed the plant, and the leaves withered, and there was no shade from the sun, and a hot wind arrived, and Jonah was ticked. And using the vernacular of our day, and I'll lose some of you on this, but some of you will follow me, and there's always Google. <laughs> when Jonah got bent out of shape over lost shade, God threw a little shade in Jonah's direction. Because here's what God said. He said, Jonah, you, so, you show so much concern for that plant because it blessed you. Shouldn't I be concerned for those things that bless me? And Jonah, you know what blesses me? Seeing people everywhere come to faith so that I can restore them. In that moment, God offered Jonah a glimpse into his passion because God wanted Jonah's obedience and his heart, not one or the other. And he wants that for us as well. He not only wants our obedience, he wants our heart to beat with his passions. You know, I was thinking as, as God offered Jonah a glimpse into his heart, Jonah really offers us a glimpse into our hearts. Because Jonah got all bent out of shape over lost shade, but he wasn't troubled at all about an entire kingdom being lost from God. And as somebody who's pastored 42 years, I have watched more than once Christians get all bent out of shape over a song they didn't like in the worship set or some staff decision or the color of paint or the time that we scheduled a service. But those people never display the same kind of passion over people all around us dying without Jesus. You know, the things that vex you say a great deal about you 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, the thing that ought to vex you more than anything else is how many people in this world are lost. Don't mess with shade when God wants to build his kingdom. Well, the closing words of Jonah are God's words rather than Jonah's words. And they couldn't be more relevant to ACAC. Let me tell you why. During the 70s, the majority of America's urban churches fled their Ninevehs. They fled for the suburbs in what came to be known as the suburban captivity of the American church. And that has continued to this day. Now that flight did not have its roots in the heart of God. That flight had its roots in changing ethnic and economic demographics. In fear, in finances, in prejudice. Or to be even more blunt, race and money. And the tragic result was and continues to be large populations deprived of vibrant, strong, adequately resourced kingdom outposts. And considering God's rhetorical question to Jonah, I feel confident in saying the current state of affairs breaks God's heart. Now thankfully, ACAC didn't join the exodus from this Nineveh. When others were leaving, we remained, believing that God put us here because people here matter to Jesus. There are no write-off people in God's world. Now, but that decision meant we all had to do things contrary to our own inclinations. As a congregation, we had to stay in a place where land wasn't available and where parking would always be difficult and where everything would be complicated because of the lack of space. A number of you, at the prompting of the Spirit, we didn't have a program, at the prompting of the Spirit, sold your suburban homes and moved your families into the north side, increasing our incarnational presence and our sensitivity and our credibility because you can't have insight if you aren't on site. Many others, you do this every weekend, made the decision to drive by healthy churches just a few blocks from their homes because you sense God was calling you to be a part of something that would serve the underserved rather than add one more buffet entree to the overserved. And more than anything else, those of you, my brothers and sisters, who have grown up with the sting of bigotry every day that you have lived, followed the leading of God's Spirit into a church that originally was all Caucasian and is still majority Caucasian. And that has to be counterintuitive. But you obeyed the heart of God, and you have my undying admiration. But because wherever we were, were whoever we were, we said yes to God, we are now learning more about God and more about ourselves than we would have other 
ever learn if we had stayed in our little comfort zones and hunkered down with our own. So Jonah has a lot to say to ACAC. And if I can just vent for a moment, I've been known to do that. <laughs> now that the north side is starting to gentrify, and Caucasians with money are moving in, I know it will only be a matter of time till some suburban churches will feel the call of God <laughs> to plant churches on the north side. And that's fine. But in my carnality, I want to say, but when it was mostly poor and black, you didn't give a you-know-what. Don't tell me you're hearing from God. This is just a reversal of the suburban flight of the 70s. It's about race and it's about money. But I won't say that. <laughs> Jonah is a unique prophet, the only one to spend a couple days inside a great fish. But as a man who struggled with the will of God and God's leading, Jonah wasn't unique at all. Jonah is every one of us. And I want to remind you, when you're struggling with God, be honest with God. Jonah was. He said, God, I'm ticked off. I knew you'd do something like that. Just take me out. You know, there are a few things more foolish than trying to hide your real feelings from God. I mean, really? <laughs> you think you, he doesn't know because you don't say it? God's a big boy. God can handle himself. God doesn't go, oh, my Lord. What do I do now? He's unhappy. See, when you're honest about your struggle, it opens the door for God to speak to you about it. And here's what I want to leave you with. Our struggles with God's will are not betrayals of God's love. They're reminders of why we need to trust him. If you struggle with God's leading, it doesn't mean you've betrayed God. It means you're struggling to trust him. Newsflash, we all struggle to trust him because his ways are not our ways. They are beyond our comprehension. They are beyond our understanding. Sometimes being a believer means I don't have a clue what's going on, but I'm going to trust God. We always close this series by talking about what does Jesus say and what does culture say when we're at that tricky intersection of faith and culture. Well, in these days, when we're at that intersection, culture says, follow your feelings. Be true to yourself and hunker down with your own. Jesus says, don't follow your feelings. Follow my heart. Pursue my will and seek those that I want to make my own. Because what I did for you, I want to do for other people. And that's got to mean you're got to get stretched. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to us through the ancient 
prophet Jonah. He speaks to us as if he spent several days in our living rooms this week. I pray that wherever a believer is struggling with your leading, that they will be both encouraged and instructed by Jonah's story. And I pray where people are struggling to believe that God would accept them, that they would be encouraged by Jonah's story. In fact, if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior because you just felt like, well, I'm a hot mess. He wouldn't want me. What would he do with me? I hope Jonah's story has reminded you that God loves you more than you love yourself. And he wants to do for you what he's done for so many in this room. And if this, in this moment, in the quietness of your heart, you will simply say, Lord, I'm broken. I need Jesus to fix me and change me and give me life. And by faith, I ask you to do that. He'll do it. He'll do it. Because he is gracious and compassionate. Father, help us to hear the ancient prophet as we navigate the intersection in our day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.